Hello and welcome to the STC Fit Podcast. I'll be your host today. My name's Nat Jurek and with me, I'll be joined by Ben Scott and Jason Galea. STC Fit are a group of coaches who provide premium coaching and education services to high achieving women who want to ditch the frustration and achieve the results they want when they want. On the podcast, we'll be discussing all things related to our five-step method to experiencing total clarity in knowing how to achieve your goals, present and future. The podcast is brought to you by at STC Fit for all your online and personal training needs. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a share and tag at Nat Jurek STC Fit, at Ben Scott STC and at Jason Galea underscore STC. Hope you enjoy the show. I still freak out because there's no Siri. Nat's mic's on. The recording sign is on. We are live with hopefully high quality audio. Fingers crossed. Sorry, Tam. That's not underwater this week. Oh, my God. Well, we got there eventually. We'll see what happens next week. (laughs) How are you, Nat? I am good. We were just saying it's the perfect lockdown day. (laughs) Eat, train, sunshine, coffee. That's caffeine it. yes after my post during the week of like don't have too much caffeine oh that i was very attacked and triggered by <laughs> all the people that replied were personal trainers well fit mold <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have like my two but they're kind of like in the space of like three hours and then i'm like all right i'm done then i'm not having any more so my last one was like nine o'clock so you're the highly caffeinated one now yeah, good luck. I'll try to let you speak today. Yeah, I told you, microphone here. <laughs> <laughs> the floor is all yours. How How's are you, Benjamin? Oh, I'm my good. Training, my training's shit. <laughs> I, am, <laughs> I am half the week with equipment and half the week with no equipment. So sometimes good, sometimes shit. <laughs> yeah, so the with equipment is good? Yeah. <laughs> and you just hate life for the body weight shit? Yeah, I did them... Monday, Tuesday last week, which was good because I got to like Tuesday afternoon and I was like, fuck, I don't need to do this for like another like six days. <laughs> like, I'm all good. And then I haven't done them this week. So that's a weekend problem. That's a future me problem. Yeah. How's the garage life treating you? It's all right. I had a weird like back spasm thing, like the bottom of my thoracic. Have you been strange. spending too much time with? uh amy <laughs> you guys are rubbing off on each other yeah it's hilarious so yeah she just said amy's like thing. amy's like lower back um but like i saw jace two days later he's like my back's fucked i'm like where <laughs> he literally exactly the same spot my like, fuck this is too much ben oh my god amy becoming the same person too much <laughs> just messaged me and said the exact same thing i'm like what the fuck <laughs> yeah just like life sitting down and doing fuck all haze yeah, yeah need to be really diligent with um just movement in general just like getting up out of the chair even doing a little bit of mobility stuff during the yeah. day um so yeah like i'm just the training's still good body fat still coming down everything's fine um i don't really have a deadline or anything or anything so it hasn't really upset me like it would if i was injured in a prep so yeah it's fine it's still fun he's still dieting it. yeah yeah down four four and a half kilos from comp 
Nice. So yeah, it slowed down a bit. I think the the holiday period of just eating a little bit less and still having fuck it days and getting away yeah. with it has stopped. And yeah. it's, I need to pay a little bit more attention now. That was literally me. I was like, listen, CJ. So I'm like, we're setting this the uh, the end date here. I was like, it's my birthday in six weeks and we're done. We're calling it there. So I was like, I just yeah. need to know when this finishes. Otherwise, I'm just not in it. <laughs> I just don't yeah, well, all the things that we sort of had like scheduled have been pushed out. So like we had um, we had a family photo shoot booked and a couple of other mm-hmm. bits and pieces that I sort of need to be leaning for. Uh, but the wedding's been brought forward. So I'll, I'll maybe, I think when we get within three months of that, I'll be like, oh, fuck. Okay, yeah. time to go. <laughs> yeah, that's a worthwhile event to be shredding for. So yeah, I want to sort of have some cheekbones for that. And I haven't seen them for a couple of years, so <laughs> we're going to have to go looking. <laughs> yeah, fucking hell. <laughs> I'm like, haven't died in a year. And you're like, haha, cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Powerlifting life. Literally. On the topic of powerlifting, it's exactly, well, I guess strength is exactly what we're talking about today, aren't we, Benjamin? I set you up so well for that segue. Didn't you? Put that I know, right into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fascinated um, and ready to go because this is right up your alley. Yeah, this is obviously, for those who follow me as well or know me, um, strength is my favorite thing to talk about. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this would be a really fun episode. So I think we probably should start. Strength means a lot of things to a lot of different people. So today we're going to talk about, I guess, like, we talk about that confidence when you're walking into the gym and, and a lot of people pursue that via strength. Like we talked about my story uh, in episode 19, I think that the big bulletproof one, I'm just like getting sick of looking in the mirror every day and just wanted to pursue some other outlet, which had just happened to be weight on the bar. Um, so for, for, even for myself, Nat, I think you were the same. It was just like, let's just do this for a bit. Um, see how we go and then you like it and then it's like oh let's maybe do a comp and starts to get down to singles and that kind of stuff so for the context of today when we talk about strength we're primarily going to lean into the squat bench and deadlift being our metrics that we're measuring it's pretty similar if you wanted to do other lifts like if you need to be strong overhead or um, in either direction or, or anything like that the principles remain the same but our context of this episode is going to be being really good at the squat bench deadlift whether you're a, just a gym goer weekend warrior kind of deal um that places training in high importance and maybe just like gonna test and hit some threes in the gym and see how much weight you can lift or if you want to go that next step and and step on a platform somewhere in a safe environment and, and test what you're really capable of with a full peak and a, and a single uh a one rep max attempt um okay cool so i guess like the starting point for that it's kind of like the four adaptations that we're looking at in terms of like how we train it so do you want to sort of start with that i guess you did your four or five supposed to be five was four part um what was it your what'd you call it just how to get stronger i think it was yeah series that's Um, what i'm looking for series like to getting stronger which kind of like covered what we're looking at in terms of the bases that we need to cover. Um, so that's probably a good place to start. Yeah. So people think of strength as like lifting really fucking heavy all the time. 
Um, and if you spend a lot of time on Instagram, that's probably what your perception of powerlifting training, strength training in general is. It's just like singles every week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Neck veins and eyes about to explode out of your face and stuff like that. Uh, it's not that that's, it is, it's not the right way to go. Um, <laughs> it's been used for a long time and, and people still do it. And don't get me wrong. People still get strong, just training really heavy all the time. We obviously don't follow that method because we don't think it's the best method. So I'm comfortable to say that. So when it comes to producing your best lifts, be that a three or a one or, or whatever it is, or just generally improving your strength overall, there's four areas that we really need to get better at. So one of them is your skill. So as, as much as like, if you're an Olympic lifter, you would laugh at us, but a squat, a bench press and a deadlift has a technical demand to actually execute the movement. It's obviously nothing like as refined as maybe swinging a golf club or an Olympic lift or something like that, but there is a skill element to it. You can't just muscle things. If you're a um, smaller human, then that skill is actually even more important because like being a little bit out of position means like it, it, it punishes you a little bit more mm. if you're not a massive, massive unit that can kind of catch things and move them back. So like at competitions all the time, you'll see um, lifters miss bench presses thirds all the time. And it's pretty rare that it's a genuine like miss from a from a strength standpoint mm. that everything's perfect and the bar just doesn't move usually it's a skill breakdown yeah. and most most intermediates um beginner novice to intermediate lifters at comp if they miss a lift it's typically a skill miss that rather than a strength miss and then the more advanced you get obviously uh it starts to become uh, actual physical strength yeah. So we need to train that. Uh, next is hypertrophy. So just how much muscle you have is going to impact how strong you are, which makes sense. When we think of someone who is strong, we think of someone usually carrying a lot of muscle mass. It's a little bit more specific when we're training for, for strength. It's not like a bodybuilder isn't necessarily the strongest. Uh, it's being more specific than that, but it's obviously very important. The next one is kind of two that I just kind of, placed into one is force production and disinhibition so it's your ability to actually create force uh, within your muscles and then disinhibition is all the protective mechanisms that you have in your body to stop you from producing the maximum amount of force so you don't get hurt mm. um, which is frustrating in one one side of the coin as a powerlifter because you're like just give me all of the power mm. uh, but at the same time it's like little things like trying to scratch your face if you didn't have these mechanisms in place you would just smack yourself into the nose every time so it kind of makes it hard to function as a person yeah uh, and then the the last one psychological consideration so a lot of strength training is upstairs um the, the most common one that, that's talked about heaps is like squat anxiety like being yeah. able to get under a bar and squat a heavy load any heavy load that you have to feel that's new that you haven't been exposed to um that look the injury rate for strength training and powerlifting compared to other sports is actually really really low because it's a fairly safe environment um, all things considered but it's still fucking scary <laughs> when you unrack that load for the first time and it's like oh jesus this this could do me some serious harm mm. yeah i think that's probably the biggest one that like 
because it's like not on the physical side of things. Like everyone's like, what do I need to do to get stronger? Like physically, like in terms of programming and skill and the rest of it, like that actual headspace stuff um, is probably the one that gets like missed a lot, which I found out how important it is as well recently. So yeah, I think it's, uh, I like that you put that in there as well. Yeah. And I think it's maybe one that's missed from a personalization programming standpoint, like there's still personalization in the other ones in terms of maximizing things, but actually sitting down to write a program for someone, those psychological considerations are maybe one of the biggest ones Mm. Um, just to, to get everything right to lead into the day um, by thinking about, like you mentioned your comp where we didn't quite reach maybe your potential on the day. It's looking back and going, okay, what, what happened in the prep, that we need to avoid next time mm. was the 15 second deadlift did that get in your head yeah. you missed a couple of lifts here and there maybe we could pull back on the rpe so you come in fully confident like mm. what what do we need to change to have you the most confident coming yeah but i think it's like even just like systemizing that as well like the psychological side of things it's probably like we were talking about my last prep i know that like Prior to that, it was like clockwork every time I went into a deadlift. Like I just set up the same way. And then because the environment changed, I was training at your house and I was distracted by Indy all the time. (laughs) I just didn't have a setup. And then that just like transferred onto obviously the day. And like, it's actually really interesting to see that play out too. Yeah, it's hilarious. She actually just walked into the office and laid down behind me. But she's like, she knows that I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) No matter hear my voice, she'll just like run to the front door and start barking. (laughs) Yeah, she'll be a pest. Um, yeah, so I think to continue the rest of the, the conversation, so we'll unpack what those adaptations are. So you can start to think about how you would apply them in a, in a session, in a week, in a program, and then your entire training block of three to six months. We're going to talk about percentages a little bit. So if you're unfamiliar with percentage-based loading, essentially what it means is the percentage of your one rep max. Now, if you've tested before, like Nat and I have, we know what our one rep max is because we did it at comp. But I don't know what my one rep max for a bicep curl is because I've never trained for it. I never will train for it. And like it's it's counterintuitive to do that. So percentage loads, sometimes people will use them um, to give a guide in terms of rep ranges as well. So when you hear a percentage load, it just means roughly how heavy it's going to be. And then we will look at um, today, we'll talk about rep and reserve. So your proximity to failure, which you guys have, have talking about, talked about on the podcast before. It's just like how hard the set is, how close you are to actually failing. So if we take those two things into consideration, we can then figure out, well, as a percentage, how many reps would I actually need to do to train that adaptation. And that's a really usable skill going into the gym. So there's a couple of different models. Uh, If you just Google like percentage to reps, if you literally just search that, that's all I did. Um, You'll find, and just go into images, you'll find heaps of tables of all the variations. They're all pretty much the same. Um, To give you an idea, obviously a hundred is going to be one, two is roughly 95, three is 90 ish. four, somewhere between 85 and 90. And then it just scales down to a bunch of, a lot of people are familiar with doing 12 reps. That's roughly going to be like 70% of 
of your max down to 65%, depending on whose formula you follow. So it gives you an idea of like the old like training model of doing 12 reps or three by 10 or whatever, what adaptation we're actually trying to achieve when we do that stuff. So we'll start off with skill. So skills often, the, the technical term, I guess, would be intermuscular coordination. So it's getting your muscles to communicate and work well together in a systemized fashion. So a good way, I think, to envision this for a lot of people is like, imagine throwing a ball with your good arm. That has a pretty well-developed skill for most people. Like, even if you don't throw things pretty often, you probably did as a kid and you built that kind of programming. So you, you, it doesn't feel uncomfortable at least. Then try and do it with your left arm. Everything feels wrong. Your foot placement is wrong. Your hip rotation is wrong. Where your body is is wrong. The timing of your arm and your shoulder rotation when you let go of the ball and all of that is wrong. And if you threw 10 balls with your right arm, you're probably able to get them all pretty much in the same spot. If you did it all with your left arm, you're going to be all over the place. Some will be too hard. Some will be too soft. Some will be go nowhere. So that's a good interpretation of what we mean when we say skill. It's feeling comfortable and ideally autonomous to complete a task. To train skill, we typically spend time between kind of 40 and 70% loads. So when you guys were like learning the back squat, there's probably a good chance that you just did the bar and you practiced and figured it out with just the bar before you added any load. I hope, <laughs> I hope whoever was teaching you did that with you. Um, so that's probably going to be like that really low end 40%. It's practicing the throw without any effort, just like just lob the ball, just get it to move. Then progressively over time, you would increase load to then train the skill under the load as well the trick with skilling and getting it right with the with skill adaptations is it's very sensitive to fatigue mm. so it's important to identify in your program when you've decided to do something for a skill improvement intent mm. because it's sensitive fatigue to fatigue and if we start doing shit reps we're reinforcing bad movement patterns so typically with a skill-based movement, max is sort of rep and reserve of four. So we're not really in that fatigue state yet. Mm. So when you guys think about like using losing loads of like 70% to a, to a max effort, which is somewhere around like 10 reps. So say you're practicing your squats. Really, if you're keeping a rep and reserve of four, it's maybe six at a very light load, it's a, a six reps at a load you could do for 10 and just keeping it nice and comfortable and getting really, really good at the movement. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that stands out with skill um, in what you just said is having specific like points in your program that are designed to do that. Um, something like what stands out when you say that and something that you hear a lot is like the oh, I've um, like, I'm doing my program today, whatever, lifting X amount of weight. I'm just dropping the weight back today so I can focus on skill or like today I'm just focusing on technique. on technique. And it's like, yeah. And it's like, well, you know, when we have that already input into the program and we've already got like a, a plan there, 
designed to specifically address that component of what you need to do, then we can focus on actually moving weight where we want to move weight and focus on the skill where we want to focus on the skill. So you're going to get a better, well-rounded result when you're being intentional with that. Um, Cause like, then you hear something like that and you're like, what's the fucking point? That makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's a few different applications of skill as well. Like when you're a newbie to the gym, and you're doing that like empty barbell skill development work to practice how to squat or how to bench or whatever. That's one part. As you get proficient with the movement, typically there's little bits and pieces of it that we still need to train. So let's say like, for example, uh, your favorite thing, which is the deficit deadlifts. Um, so Nat has a tendency to hinge out of her squat and lose her upper back a little bit. So when it comes to programming for the deadlift is I want to train the skill of you maintaining that upright chest position and using leg drive off the floor rather than pulling the thing off the ground. So I want to train that in different areas, not just doing the deadlift because the deadlift is quite taxing. You're pretty strong now. If we do that every day, you're going to get beat up. Whereas if you just had five kilo bumpers on, you could do that every day of the week and be sweet. So there's a transition period from a novice uh, or from a beginner to maybe a novice intermediate where we start to target skill on a more specific level. So in that situation, we're adding a deficit deadlift to train that skill. So that's important to consider. And then coming into like off-season type of thing, um, I know when gyms were open, you were still following kind of like a, a strength-focused program and it was how do we maintain skill? So it was like, Let's use a variation of the primary lift that gives you enough carryover to still be good at it when we're ready to go back. Yeah. So if you and I, you've obviously had access to equipment. If you and I were to go back into the gym in two weeks, you would be way closer to your potential from a skill output than I am because I haven't done any of them. I haven't yeah. barely touched a barbell since, since competition. So maintaining skill in the off season is another consideration. Maybe you've got a squat at the start of your session that again, it's just like sixes at a weight you could do 10 for really comfortably and just cruising through that. Yeah, probably a good time to also like direct you guys to the, um, oh, what episode was it? We spoke about progressions and regressions. Is it a training one? Um, yeah. Because, yeah, that will give you a better indication of like the framework that we're working with in terms of like specific skill breakdowns um, inside of these lists. So you guys have a bit of a better understanding of like what we're actually looking at with exercise selection and how that plays out. Um, you've also got an article on it, don't you, Ben? Yeah. So on the STC Fit website, it's called Progression Regression and the Movement Assessment one as well. So I think that was two episodes we did that um where we broke that down so if you guys want to listen to that one as well teaches you how to look at your movement and then maybe how to progress and regress it to build that skill yeah so would you say for skill it's kind of like if you're that beginner like trainee it's like well just how do i do this and then as you get stronger it's kind of like well what's happening inside of that thing that you already know how to do yeah definitely yeah so the trend the difference really between a beginner is they can because they're skill limited, they can't express their potential strength. So we'll introduce that term now. So there's potential strength and ex strength expression. Skill and hypertrophy build potential strength. The better you are at it, the more muscle you have, the more potential you have to be good at it. 
then we need to add the other two and then you will be good at it. So as a newbie, your skill is so low that you're, you're not good at the lift. So because the weight is so low, you could probably squat bench and deadlift every day for a period of time and just get better every single time because your skill is going to improve. There's going to come a point where you're strong enough that you can't recover from doing that. Yeah. So then we need to look at, well, instead of just training the entire squat to maintain a position, then we're going to train a squat variation to focus on the skill breakdown that we've seen. Yeah. So we've got here as well, um, the rep and reserve consideration. Um, so do you want to sort of run us through how that would play out and why that would be important? Yeah. So like we said earlier with the, the sensitivity to fatigue with skill work, um, we don't want to reiterate bad patterns. So we're going to stay probably four reps from failure for the most part with that. So it's, it again, with your programming, it needs to be a conscious decision. You can't just write, do this movement um, and, and not actually consider what the rep and reserve is going to be like. It's, some people will program like load limited movement. So you can push that rep and reserve a little bit more. So like the deficit deadlift, you could push that a little bit further, but for the skill that you're trying to learn, um, patterning a new skill, let's say, definitely at least four reps in reserve. And then for your maintenance side of things, four RIR is fine as well. Yeah, it's just like counterintuitive because the closer to failure you get, the more likelihood of shit going wrong. So let's not put you in a position to do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so next up is hypertrophy. Yeah, so again, keeping in terms of that like potential strength, the size of a muscle when we get to the force production, it'll make it more sense. But we sort of intuitively know a big person tends to be pretty strong most of the time. There's a few outliers, but most of the time, if someone's strong, they've carry a lot of muscle mass. Now, I think of this in like a, like a flow chart from the top where you just have like, um say like body part specific hypertrophy so if you're a bodybuilder you're like i want to build the lat you would program as my lat i would build a program a certain way to achieve that then i would just have like overall hypertrophy which would just be i just want to get bigger everywhere the same as you would train extra for your back is you would train extra for hypertrophy for strength and the movements that you want to build strength in so we put ourselves in positions where it's going to carry over to our main lifts and then train with a hypertrophy intent to create that change. So I think that's where kind of people get a little bit lost. They think I actually had a consult a couple of weeks ago with, with a guy coming off powerlifting block, moving into hypertrophy. And it was like, when are you going back to powerlifting? Mm. Do we, you, you want to get in shape? That's cool. Do you want to get in shape and build muscle to be a better power lifter or just to look good with your shirt off? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's a different approach to those two things. Um, with a hypertrophy, a strength hypertrophy focused, every single thing that you program should contribute to you being a better power lifter or a better strength athlete. So down to like a bicep curl, cool, you might also have a secondary goal of having nice arms and shoulders and like 
even powerlifters like to look good with their shirt off. Don't use me as an example of that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, I'm going to program this in a way that improves me as a powerlifter. So, okay, what position can I put myself in? Well, I need good external rotation. I need to strengthen the bicep tendon. Maybe I'll do like a recline supinated curl, put that area under load, bulletproof me a little bit from injury and achieve that secondary goal of looking a little bit nicer in a single leg. So that lens of this is to become a better strength athlete is really important. So yeah, as I mentioned, like big muscle means more potential for strength. So the bigger the muscle, the more force it can produce. Again, we're creating that potential so we can train the force later on. Hypertrophy takes a really long time. So does skill. Uh, if you think about like, you can just get under the bar, do five reps and be good at it. Mm. Takes a really long time to develop skill. So these two tend to make up, well, they should <laughs> take up the majority of your programming in a year, say. You should mm. be spending most of your time developing skill and building more muscle mass if you want to be able to lift more weight every year. There's an old... It's proven-ish. <laughs> uh, it's a bit of a wives' tale and obviously so independently variable with so many different influences. Um, but the three kilo per year lean muscle mass is kind of, seems to be fairly accurate um, for most people. So if you can put on three kilos every year and maintain the same body fat, you're doing pretty well uh, for, for a natural athlete. Obviously, it's faster in your first year and then obviously slowing down after that. We need to fine tune things a little bit more to continue to make that progress and to the point where sometimes maybe you won't. Most people will never reach that phase. But it's just a little guide to think like if you want to go up a weight class, for example, understanding that in 12 months, you're probably only going to put on three kilos of really usable muscle if you're um, – yeah a, a natural athlete so it's it's definitely a consideration there yeah i know you, yeah, sorry, go i was gonna say i know you just said that like both of these things should take up majority of the year would you say that they're probably it's probably the two things that get missed the most as well like especially for the person who just wants to get stronger it's just like i just do triples every 12 weeks or like i test every six months or whatever and it's like this whole element is completely being missed um, from what I can see most of the time anyway. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's def there's a culture within particularly powerlifting, less maybe a someone who wants to get strong for a sport. They tend to look at things from a strength conditioning standpoint rather than just a strength standpoint. So yeah, you'll see, I don't know if Instagram made it worse because I wasn't involved with strength training pre-Instagram, but it's like, put the triple up, get a bunch of likes. Awesome. I'll keep doing it. Uh, it sort of lends a little bit that way. And obviously just like a, your personal ego that you're dealing with as well. It's like, so for example, like what were you, what did you deadlift PB in the garage before comp? 140. And what do you, what were you pulling deficit deadlifts three weeks after comp? 90. Yeah. So there's that element of like, but I can fucking lift 140. Why am yeah. I doing 90 kilos? Yeah. I also think it's a misinterpretation. Like we talk a lot about um, specificity and I think that people can take that one step too far where they're like, well, I want to get good at 
doing singles or doing triples or being strong, expressing strength, as we say. So that's what they do because it's just a misinterpretation of that concept that like this is specific to what I want to do and what I want to achieve. So that's what I should be doing all the time to get better at that. So I think also being able to broaden the lens and like actually show that process looks a lot different, still being specific all of the time. Yeah, 100%. Um, let's change that. So yeah, it's coming in with the, the thought process of like, well, how does my year look to mm. be the best at this thing? Not how my numbers look the best this week. And, and you're right. It's, it, the old school method was like, you do 12, 12 weeks out, you do 11, you do 10 all the way down and then you do one and you repeat. Yeah. Uh, it's just, like I said, coming, in at, coming at it with a, more nuanced thought which is what today is like well what are the fourth what are the things that we can actually affect and then how do we train those then how long do those adaptations take skill and hypertrophy take way longer than improving force production and psychological um, parts of it and we have a way less chance of injury training those two outcomes during that time so we probably have because we still have a little carryover when we train skill and hypertrophy to force production and disinhibition. It's just not maximized. It's not like it's not happening. It's just not the optimal way to train for that specific adaptation. So, and the same is in vice versa. So the argument would be like, fuck off, Nat, I do never do more than sixes and I've built muscle. It's like, yeah, you have, you still get exposure to load and eat enough protein and sleep and you'll build some muscle, but is it the fastest way to do it? way to do it. Yeah. So, Sorry, I was just going to say, would you say that like training age has a lot to do with it as well? Because I think like, obviously the newer you are to training, you're going to see like you could probably um, like do your triples for a really long time and like see a better return off the back of that than having been doing this for, for years and years and years, for example, like you versus me. And it's like, it's going to be a lot harder for you to see strength progress um, in comparison to someone who's just doing this for the first time because it's all just a new stimulus as well. So potentially like experiencing that as well. It's like, well, this is what I'm doing and I'm getting stronger. And it's like, yeah, but you're going to peak. Like you're going to hit that point where that doesn't work anymore because you're more advanced as a lifter. Yeah, uh, I guess it's more the shift of where your progress is coming from. I mm. think early days, it's going to come primarily from skill. Yeah. Then it's going to come from hypertrophy um, and then being able to like maximize the force production, like that potential is just going to build over time. So to be honest with you, like I did, so I competed three times, so that's three years. And then I did two liftoffs, I think before that. Yeah. So that's five years. And I only competed once a year for this reason, because I knew to be competitive, I probably had to be at least under nineties, if not under a hundreds at my height. Um, to comparatively like the muscle mass of the guys that I'm standing next to, to compete, to have the same strength potential as them. So competing every three or six months is a waste of time. I wasn't building any muscle while I was competing. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'll just compete once a year and, and do that. We got sort of um, forced a little bit with the, the way yeah. comps ran and federations yeah. and stuff for you. But yeah, I think there's heaps of benefit in that. And it's, again like i'll probably have 12 months off now but i plan on coming back at either under 90s or under 100s maintain and my goal now is like maintain all the muscle mass i have i'm having fun with other training but i know i need to keep 
some skill and some hypertrophy. So the potential's there when I'm ready to do a six month prep and come back and compete and hit similar numbers to, to what I did. So, all right, so coming back to the specifics of hypertrophy. Somewhere between, so if you're training for general hypertrophy, the recommended intensities are somewhere between 30 right through to 90% of your 1RM, provided you get within two to three reps in reserve, depending on where on that scale you are. The heavier the load, the less rep RIR you need. Uh, sorry, the more RIR you can have, the higher the rep range, the closer you need to get to failure. With strength hypertrophy, because we still want to get a little bit of those other adaptations, we want to try and get a little bit of disinhibition, a little bit of um, force production adaptation, probably better to spend your time between 60 and 85% of your loading. So from a rep range standpoint, you're talking between 15, six and 15 reps which is primarily where we program most of our beginners and intermediate lift, lifters, even if their goal is physique. Um, so just because most people don't have it to go to 20 or 30 and actually really drive to failure. Mm. And the other benefits that you get just in terms of strength across the, along the way are, are, are much more helpful. So obviously the other consideration with hypertrophy Part of training in that rep range is the intensity is lower compared to training for force production to where intensity is how close you are to your 1RM, so that percentage. So it's fairly low, which means we can do much more volume and volume seems to be provided uh, effort, so proximity to failure is there. Volume seems to be the deciding factor of how much muscle you build. How much volume you can recover from will determine how much muscle you can build. So we tend to break up our strength programming into movement patterns. So you have a push, an upper push, upper pull, hinge and squat. But it's not like, what I'm going to say is 20 sets-ish per movement pattern doesn't mean 20 sets of back squats. Mm. You'll fucking die. <laughs> not recommend. <laughs> it means 20 sets of that pattern over the whole week. So that... The, the primary movement in that would be like your comp squat, for example. You wouldn't train that in a hypertrophy range, but thinking about the, the range of movement patterns you have all the way down to something like a leg extension. It's inside that squat kind of pattern that we're trying to attack yeah. and everything in between. So different positions of bars, different bars for squatting, split squats, lunges, et cetera, et cetera. The lift goes on forever. And that's just inside the squat. So yeah, around 20 sets-ish, which across four, you're looking at 80 to 90 sets per week, typically, if you're training a hypertrophy-based program. If you're adding in some skill stuff, it's going to be around the same. You're distributing some of that work to skill, and maybe you could push up to, depending on the athlete, anything over about 80 sets for me, and I'm in the bin, I'm a useless human, um, but someone like yourself, Nat, who's yeah. a few years in, a little bit smaller, um, not quite as as maxed out in your strength potential yet, you could probably handle 90, 100, even a little bit more sometimes, depending on the exercise selection. Effective sets inside your hypertrophy range. Uh, we talked about rep in reserve for skill. Hypertrophy is the opposite. Again, why it's so important to decide why you're doing an exercise to then apply into your programming. 
So skill, we, we wanted to stop with four reps in reserve for hypertrophy, typically between two reps in reserve and failure is where we want to spend most of our time. So you get to send it. <laughs> Always fun. <laughs> yeah, and that, that ties into the exercise selection too. Like if you think about that in a hypertrophy environment, you're probably going to use some machines. You're going to use lots of dumbbells and cables and less fatiguing movements, again, to drive that volume. But it means it's safe to drive to that point. Like, yeah, you don't exactly. want to be doing a zero in a squat. Yeah. As you just said that, um, like, it's time to send it. I was like, yeah, where it's safe, like, not on your um, high bar back squat or anything like that. Yeah. Um, like, start <laughs> to see how, like, a program would come together. Um, in terms of like exercise selection and all of that with considerations as well um, when you look at all and unpack all of this stuff too. Yeah, definitely. All right. So you guys that? did um, programming last week. So I, I'm sure you uh, want to talk about, spoke about that, I think, with Jace. Yes, it was. It was. I don't <laughs> even know what week it is anymore. <laughs> I was like, you um, know, one last? No, we did not. <laughs> I did program. So if this is all sort of going straight over your head, jump into last week as Jace would have talked about like um, rep and reserve and all that kind of stuff within there as well. And the considerations to programming. And then this builds on top of that in terms of making it specific to getting strong as fuck, basically. Yeah. Highly recommend listening to these in order because we just talk <laughs> with like the idea that you already have. So we're like, oh, last week. you already know that. Yeah. Look, I'm trying to make it standalone, but it'll be easier if you've done the other one, if you're new to the, to the yeah. information anyway. Yeah. All right, so last or second last adaptation consideration. Again, like I said, it's two in one, really. It's force production and disinhibition. So we'll start with disinhibition because I'm not going to really go down deep with this. One, because I'd have to read it. I couldn't just articulate it to you because it's textbook fucking lab coat shit that you guys don't need to know and it doesn't really matter that much. Essentially, walking away from, from this, all you need to know is there's mechanisms in the body that sense danger when it comes to producing force that limit how much force you can you can um, produce so they exist in between the tendon and the muscles where they actually connect there's some sensors in there which sensors is probably a um, agricultural word for that but that's what they essentially they are in the spinal cord as well and in the brain so it's essentially like if we do this we could tear a muscle, tear a tendon, um, cramp even, just like something bad could happen if we produce the amount of force that you're asking me to right now. And I'm going to stop. <laughs> we're not going to let you do that. Yeah. 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 So really important uh, to consider there. I don't think force- my senses were going Sorry, off. Go. I don't think my senses were going off during that 15 second deadlift <laughs> or they were. And my <laughs> brain was like, we didn't even <laughs> yeah that was that was definitely force production and disinhibition uh adaptation focus that lift (laughs) so the the disinhibition stuff the reason i've put that together with force production is it all happens in the same ranges so when you're training for force production you're effectively training for disinhibition as well basically the heavier the load the more your guess an easy way of putting it's the more you're teaching your body everything's okay like we can do this we're not going to die nothing's going to snap we're fine um we 
which probably comes down to the psychological considerations as well. <laughs> um, force production itself. So to understand this, we need to know what a motor unit is. Motor units basically like the part of a muscle that sends the signal that tells it to do shit. So if you think about like the bicep and you think about like having a straight arm and then you want to bend your arm up towards your face to um, at the elbow, there's motor units inside that muscle that send a signal to the muscle itself to contract and that pulls those two joints or pulls that joint, um, the, the muscles across the joint together. So we can affect how they behave how when we affect how they behave that's how we improve how much force we can effectively produce so there's three different ones three different things that happen <clears throat> so you've got synchronization so imagine you've got all these little motor units through uh just keep that bicep image in your mind instead of one going off and then there's a little bit of latency and then another one going off and then another one going off if you're thinking about like pulling something if you were like to heave it relax, heave it, relax, heave it, relax. Like that would be really hard. You wouldn't really get that thing moving very quickly. So that's what synchronization is, is getting them to fire almost on a rhythm. Recruitment, we want to make more units do the work. So we're instead of just like three people pulling on that rope, we're adding another two people to pull on the rope at the appropriate times in a rhythm to get that whatever it is that's moving. Then we've got rate coding. So that's how fast we recharge and we can pull the rope again. So if we go through the whole thing, think about having, it's not accurate at all, but it gives you a visualization. So we've all got a rope and we're hanging onto a car. So if there's just that grabs the rope, she pulls the car and <clears throat> like, it's just like yanking on it, gets a little bit of a movement, has to rest yanks on it has to rest and then we're sort of like hey nat why don't you just do it like on the second every second so you pull there's a little bit of momentum you pull again and you kind of keep that momentum and things are a little bit easier to get done that synchronization is getting that timing to work recruitment would be we find another nat we throw them in right so now there's <laughs> there's yeah fuck chaos <laughs> <laughs> trying to get both that both nats um to work in that synchronization together mm. but there's more of them so two nats are going to pull harder than one nat then we have rate coding coding so we're going to take it from a second to a half a second so we're going to get that like <clears throat> nat one goes nat two goes nat one goes nat two goes and we're starting to get that rope like nice and tight on the car the whole time and we're starting to get a little bit of movement then if we think about hypertrophy added into that, essentially what we would do is just make that bigger or me and Jace rock up and we add to the end of the line. So we put larger muscles that get told to do those things on the commands and that's what's going to produce more and more force over time. I like that. Think about the skill of that. Think about if we walked up to that rope and just like yanked on it. And then just like it was slack or we were just like trying to pull with our hands rather than like sitting down on it and really like using your legs to drag it, that kind of thing. Like that's going to be the skill impact. And then disinhibition is someone taking the handbrake off in the car. All of those come together to create the optimal outcome 
we just have to remember that we need to do those in different sequences. Mm. So we need to think about skill. We need to think about hypertrophy. We need to think about force production and disinhibition. And then the last one, which we'll talk about shortly, will be what does that mean for the, the actual person who's got to lift the weights, not just like what the biology says. Mm, I really like that analogy. It's very comprehensive. I've been working on it for a while. It used to be pushing the car and I changed it to a road yeah. today. Yeah. I was like, how did you find that? <laughs> you made it. <laughs> I did. Pat myself on the back. I like it. <clears throat> so force production, disinhibition, typically will train in much heavier loads. So t- usually over at least 75% uh, will be targeting that, if not over 80. Uh, maximal outcomes are going to come actually over 85%. And when rate coding actually starts to kick in and the disinhibition stuff is done, starts to really work as well. So you're talking like less than five reps because we're going to apply a between one and three rep and reserve for this as well, just because of the danger of typically the movements that you would be using to do this. So you're not going to do uh, force production training on a lay extension. You're going to do it in a squat. You're not going to do it with dumbbells. You're going to do it with a barbell. So the danger element of lifting or the risk to reward element of lifting those loads, we just going to keep safer and we can still get the same, pretty much the same adaptation flying just below the sun rather than into it all the time. So yeah, somewhere less than five reps right through to doubles or even a single really like Nat's 15 second deadlift. But we no all thought she was going to die. Doing that. <laughs> yeah, don't do that all the time. <laughs> do not recommend. <laughs> I'm just going to be KO'd for like two weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So obviously when we move into a force production, disinhibition type environment, the intensity has gone way up. So intensity, again, is how close you are to your one rep max. So how many reps you're doing with the proximity of failure. So we're doing between one and five. We're lifting a fairly heavy load. Because of that, and the lifts that we've selected are systematically more fatiguing. So Jace can go into the systems of fatigue in another episode, but think about all the stuff that's stressed when we do a really heavy compound lift compared to doing an isolation machine. Mm. You intuitively know that you're more fucked up after the barbell lift than you are after the machine. So that's what we call systemic fatigue. That accumulates over time as well. So we need to manage that really effectively. So the force production disinhibition stuff, we train at much lower volumes than we would for hypertrophy and skill. So it's important to think about that as well. So before we jump into psychological considerations, we've essentially built ourselves a timeline now. So if you had what I wish I had every single time I prepped someone, would be like, say six months, 26 weeks-ish, depending on the athlete, if you're a, listening to this, you're more than likely a beginner, novice, maybe early intermediate, we're going to spend a huge part of that 26 weeks, probably around 16 of them, developing skill and hypertrophy. Over time, we might start to move our hypertrophy work towards just leaning towards the force production stuff so maybe you're doing sixes and then you may be adding in like the main lifts you're doing fives but you're training all your accessories 
in the hypertrophy ranges. Then we get to about 10 weeks out. Now it's like we've created as much potential strength as we could in that time frame. Now we want to focus on the force production, the disinhibition stuff. So then we start dropping down fives into threes, into doubles, into singles as we come into the meet. Because like I said, that fatigue is accumulated over time. We need to consider the considerations for deloads and things like that become higher in this phase than they do in the other one because you're not recovering as easily. So we're monitoring performance in a much great with a, a much more zoomed in lens. Everything's a little bit more important as we get to that. And then you would decide uh, if you were just in the gym and you were just training for like general awesomeness, maybe just hit a triple, like right. test your threes, move on with your life. <laughs> um, because moving from that stage to comp stage, uh, as Nat will tell you, I think we've lost shoes, we've lost wrist wraps, forgotten nope. where you lived. Oh, that was nope. Amy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all the above. <laughs> okay, confirm. So it is quite mentally taxing once you get into that like deep realm, which is the difference between showing up in the gym and then making a commitment mm-hmm. to actually hit the platform. So you got to weigh off the trade, weigh up the trade-offs for that as well we move into how far you're going to take that do you want to just give maybe an insight into um how long have we been going for so we have a bit of time a bit of an insight into how you feel as an athlete skill hypertrophy phases into that force production phase what you've experienced yeah i think like even talking to clients who are going through down that route of like you know maybe doing the lift off or something like it's probably the first thing that we talk about and I'm like you know we've got to be prepared for what's going to come because um, I think we've spoken about it before that it's like people talk about the fatigue stuff and like the actual subjective feeling or like recovery side of things with being in a deficit and like the side effects that happen with like you know prolonged um, dieting and people aren't maybe aware of like the flip side of that of what happens like at the tail end of like a strength um, program or like a peak or something like that. I think like the biggest thing um, for me was just like the, the brain fog and like the just overall fatigue and like just mentally, like, yeah, physically like feeling tired and stuff, which I guess like at some point, like you do feel when you're just training in general, it's like, you know, you start to push the boundaries. Maybe it's the last week you program or whatever. And you're like, yeah, I'm sore or I'm tired or whatever. But I think like the mental side of things, like the brain fog and just like not actually being able to like put sentences together um, is probably like the thing that kind of stands out that you don't expect, um, that people don't expect to come with like doing anything physical, I guess. It's like, oh, well, why would this impact like my brain? And it's like, yeah, it definitely does. Um, So that was probably like the biggest shock to me. And then, coming out of that, like going into a peak and then going out of that, you're just like, like, fuck, like I feel like a new person after like, you know, a week of going back into a recovery block or something. Like you're just miles from where you were. So like you literally do go down like a fucking dark hole sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I think that physique comparison is really valuable because I think most people understand that, that that's hard. Mm. But like, if you, if you tell someone like you're doing a bodybuilding competition, they're like, oh, fuck, like, oh, it's so hard. And you're like, tell people that you're just doing nine reps. 
yeah. <laughs> had a powerlifting meet. They're like, oh, yeah, so you just train. It's like, no, they, they, we've gone beyond training at that point. This is different. Um, we did an episode uh, on should women do powerlifting with yourself and Amy a while yeah. ago. We unpacked it and it's like most people, and this is goes the same with body composition, right? Most people can get in athletic levels of body fat given a long enough time frame without too much impact on their life. Mm. Yeah, you're going to be a little bit hungry. You're going to be a little bit sore from training. You have to be dedicated, et cetera, et cetera. Like you need that lifestyle built around it, but it doesn't like get messy. Mm. Then, okay, now we're going to go from that to sub-athletic body fat levels and maybe like a photo shoot or bikini pageant or bikini show or something like that. It's like now we need to go to a place that's probably not about health anymore, purely about quote unquote performance, which in bodybuilding is how you look. So we're going to have to do some things that maybe move away from the healthiest method. When it comes to powerlifting, it's the same. You can get really fucking strong at triples mm. without too much impact on your life. Build it up, test it, move on. Taking that next step to be like, yeah, I'm going to step onto the platform expect four to six weeks where you feel like shit mm. like understand that it's a sport now it's not training and, and i think people say all the time it's one of my biggest pet peeves it's like um training is the sport for powerlifting it's like we've mm. just shown it's not you don't go to the fucking gym and do nine reps and go home yeah that's not it it's it's like saying football training is the same as playing football on the weekend. It's not. You do yeah. drills, you do running, you work on cardio, you work on skills, like you work on game plans. Powerlifting, bodybuilding are the same. You, it's not just going to the gym at that point. So if you want to go down that road, fucking A, like we are in for it. Nat and I love it. Like mm. coming out of that thing is like, especially the end of a comp day when you've, you've like, particularly if you hit a PB total and you've had a good day, it's like, I haven't experienced too many better feelings. Hmm. I haven't experienced any better feelings in a gym environment, like a, a training environment. Yeah. So the reward is 100% there, but the reward becomes comes because shit's hard. <laughs> like yeah. Getting to that point. Yeah. I think like we spoke about um, people doing like, or being overly specific with like, you know, let's do singles all the time. And we're like, that's probably like a really shit way to try and get better at being stronger. But also, like, when I hear that, the first thing I think of is, like, you're either fucked all the time or you're not actually working to your true potential because if you're not fucked all the time, then this is kind of pointless because you should be if that's what you're doing. Like, that's the first thing I think of. I'm like, if that's what you're doing all the time, like, good luck to you because that's not worth it. Um, So I think that outside of just, like, the result thing of, like, just getting stronger, it's like, how are you recovering? Like, how do you feel all the time? Because... I know that like that, like I've done what three comps now in 18 months or whatever it was. And it's like, I don't want to do that for a long time now. Cause that was really hard. <laughs> and like, <laughs> I, I need a break. I need a rest. So it's like, if you're doing that all the time, like, yeah, you're either not doing it properly or there's a, there's a better way. Cause you can't just function like that for, for months on end. Yeah. All right. So we'll jump into the psychological considerations, which the, it goes both ways, right? The psychological considerations in the skill and hypertrophy block are going to be, you're going to think you're weak. And that's really fucking hard, particularly when you value training and you maybe value 
how strong you are as something of importance. And now all of a sudden you're doing 80 sets a week instead of 40. You're doing lift variations. You're doing different rep ranges. Everything is a, in a totally, totally different spot. You've detrained maybe your force production a little bit to try and focus on skill and hypertrophy. And you're like, fuck, man, I did 140 for a single and now I'm lifting 90. This is not it. Like, I'm not enjoying this at all. I'm pretty sure I was like, am I doing something wrong? <laughs> this is supposed to be like, like this way. <laughs> You're like, yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I did it with um, the safety bar squats. Yeah. Squat, like my first week, I think we were doing sixes. I did like fucking like 80 or 90 kilos. I was <laughs> 200 a comp. And like, that was like well under what it should have been. I was like, oh, fuck me. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like I'm a beginner again. So there is that consideration. And realistically, that's probably why people been doing this stuff because it's like, it hurts your feelings, man. <laughs> I just want to be strong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So being disciplined with that and just understanding to have like a, I know a wide range, a wide view of how things are going to work, particularly if yeah. you're programming for yourself and you can just change shit whenever you want or at least have a coach who's willing to be like, remember the long-term plan, remember why we're doing this. Yeah, this and is exactly, yeah, the conversation. Like I, a client stands out who was, I think the first time around we wanted to do the lift off or no, she was going to do a comp or something. Um, and then we had to pull back. I think something happened with like COVID um, and go back to like a strength hypertrophy block. And she was like, I'm fucking, why am I doing this shit? Like, I don't want to fucking do this. Like crack the shits. And I was like, listen, like let's broaden the lens and zoom out and actually think about why this would be helpful in three months time. And she was like, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah and it's taking the little wins in that stuff as well like particularly the stronger you get the more fridge like you become from strength training like mm. without much training variety and variation um yeah. so like just being able to like i don't know for me it's like i can scratch my back again that's really mm. cool <laughs> like just little shit. I'm above my head <laughs> yeah so there is other benefits just more so from a lifestyle standpoint of like hey, I can walk the dog the full lap of my neighborhood. I don't have to go home because my feet hurt. I did like, too Yeah, flat. just, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's definitely benefits there. And it's just understanding what you're working on at mm. those times. Obviously a healthier, we, we said when you get to that pointy end, we have to sacrifice focusing on health. The better your health status can be when you get to that point the better you recover and the better you handle it throughout that. So that means, yes, powerlifters, doing some fucking cardio will actually make you feel better and you'll perform better when you get to comp. You don't have to still be doing it three weeks out. You might still want to, but doing it for the 16 weeks that you're not in prep will actually make you a better athlete for the 10 weeks you are. Mm. So then we come into... Um, the force production time. So when we're starting to get into those heavy loads and I think I'll just hand the ball over to you for that, like how important confidence is and focus and, or like um, you mentioned routines at the start of the episode, like how important all of that stuff is coming into to the peak. Yeah. I think you probably don't realize how important it is until you don't do it. Well, like that was my experience anyway, where I, 
just naturally fell into this pattern just because everything else was so like systemized, like with training, I would go to the same gym, train, like, you know, do the same shit, same equipment, um, record, like literally put the phone in the same position to record all the time, knew where I would walk out from. Like it was all just so streamlined. So then I never really thought about it. It was just like, this is just what I, like, this is just how it happens. And then all of the comps were the same. Like we were hanging out the back, walked out to the bar, to the bar and like just did the same thing on repeat. And it's like unintentionally that was interrupted because, you know, obviously I was training with you and like there were other people and like there was a dog and like the environment was different and I didn't know where I would start or I would finish. And I didn't have like a step-by-step process because like every day was just different. Sometimes you were in the gym, sometimes you weren't in the gym, sometimes I was by myself, sometimes I loaded the bar, sometimes you did it for me. Like there was just no routine and it blows my mind like how much that impacts like just your headspace and what you're thinking about, like how you're psychologically approaching that lift. And yeah, like I didn't have that system to to follow and like every single rep was different. Like I just didn't know what I was doing, didn't even consider it. And then like, sure enough, comp day happens and it was my head that like got in the way of not only like the deadlift, but like all of the lifts, like even like bench press. Um, so I think like that really, <laughs> hi Indy, <laughs> that goes a long way in terms of like building confidence. Um, Cause you just, like we talk about, like bulletproofing everything else. It's like, you just know what to do. You're an autopilot. Um, and that comes with like another added level of confidence as well that like, if you don't have, um, it can yeah really start to play with how you perform on the day and, and like, you know, during training as well. Like I'm sure at certain points you throughout that prep, like could have performed better on certain lifts or whatnot. Had I have had a more systemized approach to like going into that lift. Yeah, I think, one of the things that I underestimated the importance of when I heard it, I was just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I'll do that. Mm. Um, was from a, a coach that I worked with for my first comp uh, in like a mentoring prescription. He was just like, go out to some different gyms once a week, once a fortnight, just go train somewhere different, train somewhere uncomfortable, train like with plates, train with shit racks, train with good racks. Don't squat in the same rack every single week. Like mm. just create free variety but perfect your own routine mm. so yeah. i can sorry, i haven't done a sorry go i was gonna say it's funny you say that because that's what i did prior to us going lockdown every sunday like i would drive like halfway around melbourne just to go to like random gyms and shit and never had that issue but like it's that same thing like the actual process like once i was set up in your place it was like there was still no process but yeah. in all the other gyms, like I was still doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think you need to, from the second you think I'm going to lift, that needs to be honed. If you're going to compete, that needs to be the same every single time you do it. I know I take my deadlift setup is like two steps onto the platform. I'm always going to have space to do that at comp. So I don't take five. If I'm in a bigger gym, it's always two steps onto the platform. Stand up. Mm-hmm. Breathe, right hand goes to the bar first, left hand goes to the bar. Mm. Then I usually shake the bar around a little bit. If it's heavy, sit down into lift and go. My squat one's fucking stupid. I wrote it out one day and it was like, I was trying to make an Instagram post and I ran out of caption space. Oh my God. Because it's like, 
where I put my finger, how I step in, yeah. where the bar goes, what adjustments I do, how I pick the bar up, how I step out, what I think about it in the initial descent, what I think about it in the hole, what I think about racking it, like all of those things, I could list exactly what I do now having not done them for eight weeks <clears throat> because it, the other part of that is like mental rehearsal. And like if you get into sports psychology and stuff, like mental rehearsal is so fucking massive. Mm. Like I've I've deadlifted every deadlift that I've done on the platform at least 20 times in my head before I even touch the bar. Yeah. So that is so, so beneficial. Um, from a programming standpoint, you need to give the lifter an opportunity to build those. Yeah. So when we talk about like that switch at 10 weeks out, we need to get you confident and competent under a heavy load. So when you've been doing high bar squats and like for eight reps, it's like, yeah, it's pretty comfy. It's like the last reps a little bit slow, but I, like, I'm not going to die. It's okay. Compared to stepping out a say eight RPE single rep, it's like that shit feels heavy mm. and you need to be, comfortable with what that weight feels like on your back in your hands for whatever lift it is when it happens mm. the, the you can see it at every single comp third attempts if you see the whites of their eyes when they unrack any lift it's like that oh, stuff mm. mentally they're gone like yeah. you, you unrack it and you just see this face like oh fuck <laughs> <laughs> it's like okay you're in trouble and it's the same with the bench it's the same with the deadlifts it's like they, as soon as they try and break the floor it's like, ah, oh, it's missed. Yeah. So just mentally went, fuck, I've never felt that load before. Yeah, the confidence thing is huge. Like, I think even like before going into a lift, something that um, I've noticed is like, even what you're telling yourself before that lift, like if you're going into that, like, oh, fuck, never done this before. Like, it's so heavy. You go into that thinking that, like, of course, you're going to get to the bottom of the squat and buckle or like, it's not going to come off the floor. Because um, like, I've done it before and like changed that and like actually been like, this is like doesn't matter i've done this i haven't done this before but like eh, like let's just pretend it's the like 10 kilos prior that i've just done and like you saw it that video where my jaw literally dropped mid squat and i was like because <laughs> i'm like holy fuck like that moves way faster than i thought it should have just because like mentally you approach that lift different so i think even especially because like when you're doing those preps like the rest time is you know seven to ten minutes you've got a lot, a lot of time to overthink shit as well um being really really conscious of like the shit that you're telling yourself because um willingly or unwillingly it will influence the way that you um go into that lift and how you perform yeah so the last thing we'll touch on and this is probably we'll do a specific powerlifting episode down the road but just managing arousal like you mentioned there like seven minute rest periods calming the fuck down <laughs> inside those rest periods calming down that helps you practice then calm down at comp uh the comps i used to do took i'd had to weigh in at 8 a.m and i'd leave the venue at 6 p.m mm. um even it was the same for me this time because we had <laughs> you guys in the morning yeah. but like being able to manage that's really important mm. and like i i can sit here and say i missed my last lift because i didn't manage that well enough mm. like I, I was tired probably in and out too stressed during the morning too anxious and it just by the time the end of the day came it's like that lift wasn't there that probably was uh, had I done it three hours earlier in the day. So when you're training, it's learning, how do I turn arousal up? How do I turn it down? 
Mm. You've trained with me, you know, like when the music goes up, everyone shut up. Don't talk to me. Like, but it only happens for 10 seconds. Mm. It's like, find the song, turn it up. That gets me to where I need to go. Everyone else in the room disappears. Like as long as I've got spotters, um, as long as it, like it's safe, it's like, okay, this needs to happen. And it needs to happen now. And mm. that's my trigger for it. Some people like to yell and scream. Some people like to headbutt barbells. Other people don't make a sound, but it's that arousal is a pattern in itself and learning how to use it. If you're like blasting metal, sniffing salts and shit for your sixes, 14 weeks out, what have you got for your single? Mm. Where's, where's the next, the next thing? Like where's the hype? Um, So I think learning to manage that's really important as too, as you come into to the end of, of prep yeah and even just like find out what works for you like I was talking to someone that was like I used to be like you know all hyped and like yeah it's like back slaps and shit and then sent me a video and like they're like <sighs> like mm. before the lift and then just like pulls it off the ground and I'm like that is so different like what so I think as well like just ex- experimenting and finding out what works for you like I'm the same I now know that like being by myself and like going inward is like better for me which is why I was like listen I can't come and train with my friends anymore because <laughs> I can't do this I need yeah. to be by myself um and even yeah. for like that last lift before comp I remember like just fucking off like taking myself away it was like no people like just me um so yeah I think just uh finding what works for you yeah really valuable yeah yeah I had a guy um that I knew from Instagram that I'd never met and bless his heart he's like such a nice nice dude and he got to comp maybe in the deadlifts Hmm. he just like wanted to have a chat and like dude like this is not this is not the time so i just like spent that whole like hour running away from him like i need to be in my own space right now please leave me alone (laughs) um but yeah like the internal thing works for me um i know like working with will he said he went down like the the sniffing salt angry music fucking yelling and screaming route and tanked and was like why what what happened and then he was like well how do i train mm. i train in a powerlifting gym with 10 of my mates we all laugh and joke and have a good time and then put wraps on and go get under the bar like there's no expression of aggression at all mm. um and he totals like 980 so it's like well it fucking works <laughs> like whatever whatever works for you works for you so that. yeah yeah Cool. I feel like we've gone for a really long time and we should stop talking. <laughs> so what happens when you have a, what was it, a short black like 10 minutes beforehand? <laughs> yeah, nailed it. Also learning to time your caffeine is important with training. <laughs> AKA not caffeinated all the time. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, sweet. Uh, yeah, so if a lot of this like goes over your head and you guys are kind of like, well, like this is a lot. Go back to the previous episodes um, that we mentioned. So it would literally just be the ones prior. I think it's probably like the last three um, that are like training and movement based so that they'll cover most bases. Um, your articles will also be like written format if you guys like prefer to, you know, intake your information that way. Um, are they on Medium, Ben, or on the website? Uh, just on the website. So just find it through the Instagram page. Sweet. Um, if you guys found this episode valuable, please take a screenshot and share. Um, you can tag at SCC Fit, at Nat Jurek SCC Fit, and at Ben Scott underscore SC. Is that right? 
no underscore. No. Yes. Um, tell us about seminar two. Yes. Um, so next week, uh, yes. So this will be released on Friday. So next Thursday, which will be the 16th, I think. 16th um, of September, we'll be hosting the next SEC fit, uh, webinar, which will be phasing the diet to look good naked. So we'll take you guys through um, all the considerations and framework, setting yourself up uh, for a fat loss phase. Um, in a really successful manner. Also, if you guys um, haven't yet gone onto it, we also have the Lean and Strong Blueprint available for you guys now as well. Um, so this is eight weeks of training, programming, and nutrition um, all put together for you guys with resources there for you to be able to personalize it for yourselves alongside um, an education platform uh, so you know exactly what to do and why. So super comprehensive, um, something I wish that I had once upon a time. So... Yeah, jump on it. You guys can just head to the link in the bio on the SEC Fit Instagram um, and you'll find everything over there. Yeah, and then last promo is just if you're a coach and you're listening um, at STC Fit underscore learning is our two coaches page. We have a podcast over there as well. YouTube channel, blogs, the whole work. So yeah, if you're a coach listening, make sure if you want to listen to us or me speak, not Nat, Nat doesn't come over there. Um, <laughs> uh, then you can get a weekly podcast from us because we do the alternate fortnight on STC Fit Learning as well. Yes. Sweet. All right. We'll see you guys next fortnight. Bye.